We are so glad you've joined us today for our Thursday broadcast of Abiding in the Word with Dave Love, Senior Pastor of Calvary Castle Rock. Today, we are continuing our study in the book of 1 Samuel. So let's listen in now to Pastor Dave. Last week, we were uh, talking and I erroneously, David was still a big liar face, but I said that he lied about having young men, like in verse uh, 2. And I've directed my young men to such and such a place. And, and, uh, and so just going by this, we didn't think that he had any young men with him, that he was still by himself, that we went to Gath, he was by himself. And because in the, uh, in the dialogue that we have here, the narration that we have here, he does not. And then during the question and answer time, one of you was astute enough to go over to uh, Matthew uh, chapter uh, 12 and, uh, um, and brought up the fact that uh, Jesus himself brought up this episode. And when he brought up this episode... He says this in verse 3, it says, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? And so we discussed about how afterwards, well, if Jesus says that there are men with him, well then, guess what? There were men with him. Right? Jesus has the final say, if you ask me. You can put as many theologians in a room as you want, but if Jesus says something, zip, end of story. You know, that, that's the way it is. Uh, and that's why uh, this last weekend we brought up the fact that a lot of your uh, Bibles, um, and even some that we carry in the uh, bookstore, uh, will have parable of the soils will be the heading there. And yet Jesus says, uh, you know, there in, in uh, Matthew thirteen eighteen that this is the parable of the sower. Jesus says that. So if Jesus says it's the parable of the sower, it's the parable of the sower. If Jesus says there were men with uh, David, then there were men with David. Amen? So... My bad for not seeing that before, but that's what I love about the question and answer time is that uh, you guys are a real pain. You get to correct me. But anyway, um, and Lord willing, you can do that today as well afterwards when we have question and answer time. So here in 1 Samuel 22, verse 1, it says, David therefore departed from there, escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. Uh, many believe this cave is about six miles uh, southeast of Bethlehem. Um, when we go to Israel, we're going to try and find that. I actually am going to Israel for about a week with Lonnie Trujillo, and this is one of the things we're going to try and find. So we'll see if we do that. Um, all through the scriptures, caves are also associated with death. We know that um, Sarah was buried at the cave of Machpelah, we know that Abraham was buried there. We know that, uh, uh, we know that Rebecca and Isaac, Jacob, um, requested to be buried there. Uh, Joshua, you might recall, uh, killed the five Amorite kings as they hid themselves in a cave, and he rolled a stone against it. Then he came back, and he takes the stone away, and then he kills them, throws them back into the cave, and seals it up again. And so we know that caves speak of tombs. It speaks of death. Um, with David here, I would submit to you with David being here at this cave, in a sense, represents the Lord Jesus Christ and, and, and possibly death, and we're going to see him, what, rise up from this place, that caves quite often in the scriptures speak of, of death. Uh, Abdullam means refuge. This is exactly what David was looking for here. He was looking for refuge. Um, it's here that David's family comes to him, and no doubt to comfort him, to encourage him. But there's others that are going to come. In verse 2, it says, And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented gathered to him 
So he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. Uh, The word distress here literally means from a narrow place. And so, in a sense, what you're seeing here is that for these men, things were very, very tight. They're very tight. Uh, The sense of suffering want. Um, And so things were very tight. They were in distress, and it drove them to David. You have men that were in debt, meaning that they had no way to pay their creditors. Their obligations were likely to be sold to their creditors, thus meaning that they would probably have to be slaves. And because of so much debt, or they viewed it as they couldn't get out, that drove them to David. To be discontented means to be dissatisfied, bitter, angry with the the rulership that was going on. And that drove them to David. Uh, There's a a little similarity here with uh, Jephthah of Judges chapter 11. He was a judge. He was kicked out of his family and then gathered around himself worthless men and and, uh, uh, very powerful warriors. And and then when they were um, in trouble with the Amorites, uh, then all of a sudden they come to Jephthah and, Jephthah and they ask him to fight for them. And if he wins, then he can rule over them and be their king. So there's some similarities there of what, what's going on here as well. I would submit to you as we go through this that at the end, we're going to come back here to the first couple of verses and a few other verses in the, in the chapter here. And um, uh, I want you to be able to see this typology of David being... Uh, a precursor, a type of Jesus Christ. And, and all that's going on here, bringing men to him that, you know, are distressed, in debt, and uh, discontented. You know, what could that mean about today of people who come to the Lord, you know? And so, and we'll, we'll get back to that, but I just want to go through this, dial, uh, this narration first, and, and then we'll come back to that. In verse 3, it says, And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab, And he said to the king of Moab, please let my father and mother come here with you till I know what God will do for me. Why would the king of Moab do that? So he brought them before the king of Moab and they dwelt with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. So why is David friendly with Moab? Or better yet, why is Moab even friendly with David? Who does David have in his line that might say, hey, cuz... Remember his grandmother, great-grandmother? It's Ruth, the Moabitess. So there's some, there's some blood there. Hey, cuz, I just thought I'd come out and, you know, if you could watch my family because we're related. Is there a possibility there? I think that there is. Um, and then it says in verse 5, Now the prophet Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold. Depart. Go to the land of Judah. So David departed and went to the forest of Hereth. What we're going to see here in the next few chapters is that David goes raiding throughout the land. He's going to go and uh, he's going to have his 400, then it's going to be 600 strong, and he's going to go in the south part of, uh, uh, of Israel there, and he's going to go raiding in the land. Now, I find this very interesting that Gad, no doubt, was probably one of the prophets of of Samuel from his school. Uh, Later on, we're going to see Gad in David's royal household in 2 Samuel 29, 11. Um, We're told in 1 Chronicles 29, 29 that Gad was also the author of the book of the Acts of David that is mentioned there in uh, 1 Chronicles 29, 29. But it's interesting to me that Gad is also a name of the tribe, one of the tribes of, uh, of, of Israel. And Jacob, when he's blessing his son, says in, in Genesis forty nine nineteen, 
Gad, a troop shall tramp upon him, but he shall triumph at last. The word tramp and triumph there is overcome. And so in the King James Version, it'll say, Gad, a troop shall overcome him, but he shall overcome at last. And the word overcome there, the word tramp and triumph is the same word that means to raid. And so here you have this guy, Nagad, that is going to be showing up at the time that David himself is going to be raiding upon the land. So I find that very interesting. In verse 6, it says, When Saul heard that David and the men who were with him had been discovered, now Saul was staying in Gibeah under a tamarisk tree in Ramah, with his spear in his hand, and all his servants standing about him. And Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Hear now, you Benjamites. Interesting that he calls them, you Benjamites. Will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? What tribe is Saul from? Benjamin. Who is it the ones that, that he raised up to be his captains and put into positions of authority? His family. Hey, your family. You know? And he goes, uh, who do you think uh, David's going to bring up when he you know, gets the kingdom? think you're going to be you? You're not family. No. And, he, and he's telling them, he's just saying, you Benjamites, will the son of Jesse give one of you the fields and vineyards, make you captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? Is he going to do that? No, he's not going to do that. He's not going to do that. You know who is? Me. So you better be a, a little bit more loyal to me. You better tell me the things that I need to know. And so he, he just kind of tells him this. He's saying, look, Saul is saying David is going to show favoritism towards his own family. He's not going to do it to the likes of you. And being that we're family, do you think that um, it's going to be better for you to serve David than for me? Not at all. It's going to be much better for you to serve me because we're family. And so he, he, he tries to uh, let him know that, hey, it's in their best interest that he remains king. That he remains king. And so instead, he begins to kind of whine and, and self-focus on himself. And, 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 you know, everything revolves around him. And he says, all of you have conspired against me. And there's no one who reveals to me that my son has made a covenant with the son of Jesse. They probably knew about it. but Nobody brought it to his attention. How he found out, I don't know. It doesn't tell us. And there's not one of you who is sorry for me. Oh, poor Saul. You know. Or, or reveals to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as it is this day. And so, and then it says, Then answered Dog the Edomite, who was set over the servants of Saul, and said, I saw the son of Jesse going to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. And he inquired of the Lord for him, and gave him provisions, and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Now, two truths here and one lie. Ahimelech did not inquire the Lord for him, but he did give him provision, and he did give him the sword of Goliath, okay? But Dog the Edomite was lying here. He was last seen in 1 Samuel 21, 7, where he was in Nob at, at the tabernacle the same time David came there. It says that Dog was detained before the Lord there, but to be detained before the Lord doesn't mean that he worshiped the Lord there. It probably just meant that he had to fulfill some ceremonial obligation connected to the fact that he's employed by the king of Israel. And so there's no heart in it. He just knows this is what he has to do if he lives in Israel. Um, 
And so Dog implicates the priest Ahimelech to David as David's accomplice. He inquired of the Lord for him, gave him provisions, gave him the sword of Goliath. Uh, Ahimelech is one that helped David. And so he's painting Ahimelech the priest in a very bad light to Saul. And so it says in verse 11, So the king sent to call Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house, the priests who were in Nob, and they all came to the king. And Saul said, Here now, son of Ahitub. He answered, Here I am, my lord. And Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, and that you have given him bread and a sword, and have inquired of God for him, that he should rise against me to lie in wait as it is this day? So Saul accuses Ahimelech of conspiring against him. And so Ahimelech answered the king and said, And who among all your servants is as faithful as David? And who is the king's son-in-law? And who goes at your bidding and is honorable in your house? He's going, if I can't trust David, who can I trust? He's your most faithful servant. He's your son-in-law. Did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Far be it from me. I didn't do that, he says. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to any in the house of my father, for your servant knew nothing of all this, little or much. I know nothing of what you're talking about. I know nothing about this conspiracy. I know nothing that David is trying to conspire against you. I don't know anything about that. So, the king said, you shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. And then the king said to the guards who stood about him, Turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because their hand also is with David, and because they knew when he fled and did not tell it to me. But the servants of the king would not lift their hands to strike the priests of the Lord. This act was so vile, it was so sacrilegious, that even Saul's own men from his own household would not raise their hand against God's priests. But there is a heathen among them that has absolutely no honor in this way. And the king said to Dog, you turn and kill the priests. So Dog the Edomite turned and struck the priests, killed on that day 85 men who wore the linen ephod. As horrible as that sounds, keep reading. And also Nob, the city of the priests, he struck with the edge of the sword with both men and women, children, nursing infants, oxen and donkeys, sheep with the edge of the sword. Now, the thought behind this is that that's an awful lot even for one guy to do. And, uh, and the thought is, is that because um, uh, Dog is, is in charge of the servants of Saul, that he got some of his servants uh, to help him with that. Because that would have been an awful lot to do, even for one guy, you know. So there's the thought behind that. It's interesting to me that Saul was reluctant to kill the enemies of the Lord when he is commanded to do so in 1 Samuel 15, 9 with the Amalekites. Remember that? And he was instructed, and he was reluctant to do that. But here, he's not reluctant to murder the priests of God in cold blood. Saul is clearly going in a bad, bad way in the wrong direction. And so his anger was bent against the Lord himself for taking away his kingdom, giving it to another. And because he could not come at the Lord, he comes after his priests. Now, I want you to go to Deuteronomy chapter 13, because I think this is pretty interesting, too. In Deuteronomy 13, it is a chapter that talks about how you punish the apostates. If a dreamer of a prophet comes up and says this or that, um, even if it comes to pass, if it's against what my word says, you, you need to get rid of him, you need to kill him. Okay? And then we get to this one area 
in verse 12, and it says, If you hear someone in one of your cities, which the Lord your God gives you to dwell in, saying, Corrupt men have gone out from among you and enticed the inhabitants of their city, saying, Let us go and serve other gods, which you have not known. And then you shall inquire, search out, ask diligently. And if it is indeed true and certain that such an abomination was committed among you, you shall surely strike the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying it, all that is in it, its livestock, with the edge of the sword. And you shall gather all its plunder in the middle of the street and completely burn it with fire, the city and all its plunder. For the Lord your God, it shall be a heap forever. It shall not be built again. So none of the accursed things shall remain in your hand that the Lord may turn from the fierceness of his anger and show you mercy, have compassion on you, multiply just as he swore to your fathers, because you have listened to the voice of the Lord your God to keep all his commandments, which I command you today to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord your God. So as you begin to dwell on the land, he says, if you hear about this city that is within your land, that's within the borders that I've given you, and you hear that they are now going after other gods, and you investigate it, and indeed you go there, and there's high places, and people are worshiping that. You need to gather all the elders together. You need to come against that city. You need to kill everyone there. You need to burn everything, and that that would remain an ash heap forever. As a testimony to everyone, we're not, we're not going to tolerate this. You know why? Because they have sinned against God. So what is it that... Saul does here. He kills all the priests and he kills all the inhabitants there in the city of Nob. And so what is it that Saul is doing here is that he is setting himself up as God and saying, you have sinned against me, so everybody dies. Whereas God was saying, you sin against me, in this way everybody should die. He is now taking the place of God here. And because they were unfaithful to him, he has everybody killed. Going back here to 1 Samuel 22. Verse 20 says, Now one of his sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, or Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the Lord's priests. So David said to Abiathar, I knew that day when Dog the Edomite was there, that he would surely tell Saul, I have caused the death of all the persons of your father's house. Now, I want you to go to Psalm 52. This is one of a couple psalms that was written during this time. Psalm 57 was also written during this time. Psalm 52. The understanding here is that David is speaking of Dog the Edomite here. When he says in verse 1, Why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? The goodness of God endures continually. Your tongue devises destruction. Like a sharp razor working deceitfully, You love evil more than good, lying rather than speaking righteousness. You love all devouring words, you deceitful tongue. Dog the Edomite is of Edom. All you have to do is read the the book of Obadiah. And uh, one of the things that that God um, accuses Edom of doing is that when Israel was going through difficult times, they were on the sidelines kind of praising it. You know, and then when it became time to be able to raid it because of what uh, what the Assyrians were able to do and the Babylonians were able to do, uh, the Edomites joined them and and went into the city and raided the city and and uh, uh, were thankful that this had happened to Israel and things like that. 
And so if you read the book of Obadiah, it, it says this is the reason why you're being judged. And so Dog the Edomite is more than happy to kill the priests of God. And, uh, and he lied because Ahimelech did not inquire of the Lord for David. And he has a very deceitful tongue. And so in verse 5 it says, God will likewise destroy you forever. He shall take you away and pluck you out of your dwelling place, uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous also shall see and fear and, he, and shall laugh at him, saying, Here is the man who did not make God his strength, but trust in the abundance of his riches and the strength in himself and his wickedness. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. I will praise you forever because you have done it. And in the presence of your saints, I wait on your name for it is good. And God does indeed pluck Edom out of the land once and for all. A total judgment, not just because of Dog, obviously, but he represents the way that Edom has always been towards Israel. And they've had a very um, uh, lot of animosity there. And uh, when Israel was first coming through the land, Edom said, no, you can't come through the land. And so at that time, God said, don't do anything to Edom because they are from Esau and they're still your brother. So, so we see that here um, in Psalm 52. And then, then David says this to Abiathar. He says, stay with me, do not fear, for he who seeks my life seeks yours life, but with me you shall be safe. Now, as we look at not just this chapter, but a lot in this chapter, but when we look at the last few chapters and what is going on as a whole here, there's a spiritual significance that I think is very, very interesting. At this point in our story, we see, uh, we see Saul, who is king, but he has been rejected by God because of his disobedience. And then we see another king, an anointed king, who is in exile here, waiting on God to tell him when he is to begin his kingdom. Okay? Now, it's interesting to me that Jesus said in John 12, 30 through 31, as well in John 14, 30, and John 16, 11, he tells us, the Satan is the ruler of this world. The word ruler there means prince, okay? In the King James, it says that he is the prince of this world in all those verses. And so Jesus tells us that Satan is the prince of this world. Right now, this world is under the prince, Satan, today, as we speak. Jesus comes down, anointed by God, to be what? King. King of kings and Lord of lords. We are told in God's word that Jesus is going to have a kingdom here on earth, a physical kingdom here on earth. But he doesn't have it right now. Right now he rules in the hearts of men to those who have submitted to him. But his physical kingdom isn't here on earth yet. Just like in David's day, there's a king in exile. Just like David... There's a king in exile right now, Jesus, who is gathering around him a company of people who are distressed, in debt, and discontented. He's training them, he's preparing them for the day when he's going to come down and reign. It just, the typology there is very, very interesting. 
Well, that concludes this Thursday edition of Abiding in the Word with Pastor Dave Love. Listen in tomorrow as we continue our study in 1 Samuel. If you live in the area of Castle Rock and are looking for a church to call home, be sure to come by and visit with us. We meet Saturdays at 5 p.m. and our Sunday service times are at 9 and 11 a.m. A combined junior and senior high class meets at 5 p.m. on Saturday evenings, On Sunday mornings, high school meets during the 9 a.m. service and the junior high meets at the 11 a.m. service. Our Young Adults Ministry, Arise, meets every Friday at 6.30 p.m. at Calvary Castle Rock. Child care is offered for all of our weekend services. Calvary Castle Rock is located right off of I-25 and East Wolfensburger Road, directly behind Jack in the Box and the Shell Gas Station. For more information about us or this radio ministry, please visit our website at calvarycr.com or download our free mobile app from the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also call the church office at 303-663-2514. We are so blessed you've joined us today. Until our next time together, we want to encourage you to always be abiding in the Word of God. Mm-hmm.